0: As we come to the 8th of God's Ten Commandments, uh, let's just pause to ask, uh, have you ever managed to memorize the Ten Commandments? I promise not to do it here, but uh, a somewhat recent survey was done at a a Christian conference asking people there, uh, can you name the Ten Commandments? And many, and even most, could not do it at least not without a great struggle searching the memory banks and hoping desperately to come up with the right answer and uh, and why do i say desperately because it seems obvious and obligatory that christians should know the 10 commandments and yet so many of us don't uh, we recognize them when we hear them of course but can we name them? And uh, maybe we can and maybe we can't. It's not necessarily so hard. It just takes a bit of effort like any other memorization. Here's, uh, uh, here's the system that I use uh, or have used for myself and, and uh, also to uh, teach the Ten Commandments to my children. Uh, first, holding up one finger... You say, uh, there is only one God. You shall have no other gods before him. Uh, Second, holding up two fingers. Uh, You say, uh, um, God is too big. That's a pun. (laughs) God is too big to be in a picture. You shall make no image of God. Uh, Three, you hold up three fingers and you say, holy, holy, holy. Even God's name is holy. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, Four, holding up four fingers. The Lord's day is four. Another bad pun, but for a good reason. Uh, The Lord's day is for Rest and worship. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Fifth. Holding up five fingers, this works for me and my family because we have two adults and three children, so there's a family, right? So uh, honor your father uh, and your mother. Uh, for, um, uh, for six, you have to switch, in my system at least, to a visual, to a number, right? Uh, the, the numeric thing. And if you turn it on its side... To me, it looks like a gun. So, number six is you shall not murder. Seven is the elevated marriage bed. So, you shall not commit adultery. Eight is a pair of handcuffs. So, you shall not steal. Nine... You have to use your imagination. But nine is, looks like a mouth with a tongue, maybe. So you shall not tell a lie. You shall not bear false witness. And ten is, the zero is zero and the one is one. So maybe the zero is coveting the one because (laughs) the one has something that the zero doesn't. So there's number ten you shall not covet. That's my system. (laughs) That's how I uh, kind of came to know the Ten Commandments and just by my own imagination, I guess, and working through a mnemonic, is that right? Mnemonic device, something uh, to that effect. But memorization comes by way of, of repetition. So no matter how we uh, come to memorize the Ten Commandments, it's important that we are reading them. And, uh, and the problem, I think, is that we're not so easily drawn to the law, right? Um, who wants to open their Bible in the morning and spend the first 15 minutes reading Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5? But the way to develop uh, the desire to read God's law uh, as well as to keep God's law uh, is to remember the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Gratitude is the key. Gratitude uh, in wanting to honor the God and the Savior who has saved you from your sin, who has delivered you from the wrath to come which brings another lesson about our personal devotions and uh, Bible reading time. Uh, who wants to read the law of God, much less the, the warning of God's word that God will judge sin in the end? Who, who wants to read that? But believers in Christ should want to read it, not least of reasons, because such teaching reminds us of our salvation it reminds us of what we've been saved from yes we are still sinners and that's why we might shy away from reading the law of god and the teaching of god's word regarding the coming judgment but we need not shy away certainly by a somber reading but we ought to consider even daily the judgment to come it will help us answer the call to be a witness for Christ and, and for the gospel throughout the day. But it will also stir within us the thankfulness that should be our motivation for turning away from sin and striving to do the right and the good that God's law calls us to do. So as we come to the 8th of God's Ten Commandments and and seek to obey God from a thankful uh, or or joyful thankfulness, let's consider that the 8th commandment must be heard, or might be heard, I should say, as the children's commandment. We've pointed out that the 6th commandment is the commandment uh, most easily checked off as done. Most people do not have... uh, a death that they feel responsible for. And uh, we pointed out that the seventh commandment might be the one that most convicts, especially for men. And uh, and by way of our Lord's teaching, uh, that uh, uh, if anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. But then comes the eighth commandment, that we might call, I'm not going to force this or press this too hard, but we might call it the, the children's commandment, because even as adults think to check off the sixth commandment, how much more children the sixth commandment? And even as the seventh commandment brings conviction to adults, well, along comes the eighth commandment you shall not steal. It would seem to me that the sin of stealing is is born in the heart quite early in life. It it, it brings to my mind, at least, the picture, the experience of uh, um, of a child with his mother in the in the checkout line of the grocery store and quietly pocketing the the enticing candy bar. Um, did you know there's a reason why the grocery store puts the candy bars in the lane as you're checking out at the grocery store it's called an impulse buy Um, you didn't go to the store to buy a candy bar but uh, there there it is along with the gum and the mints and the candy in general and well why not pick up that too but for a child it's not the question of whether to buy the additional item but whether to pocket the additional item while mom is busy um, paying for the groceries. I admit it's an oversimplification of the Eighth Commandment. Uh, You you shall not steal, but I do think it's a good starting point uh, because it reminds us that sin is born in the heart, just like with the Sixth and Seventh Commandment. And since our children have hearts, They are sinners, and they are capable of violating the law of God. But it only gets worse from there. And uh, as we get older, granted, we learn not to pocket the candy bar, but the temptations to steal continue. Sometimes it's greed. Uh, Other times it's the thrill of the sin, perhaps. But the temptation is almost always before us to take... What does not belong to us? Here's where we should see that fighting temptation and sin and striving for obedience requires strategy. Long before we face the temptation to steal, we can be preparing ourselves for the temptation. And it starts with remembering what we have lost. There are two sides uh, to this idea of remembering what we have lost. One is to remember that we have lost. In other words, we have been delivered from the need for this world. If you haven't come to terms with this, you, you should. Because there is great peace in being delivered from the desires, even the good desires of this world. I don't think anyone ever escapes completely from the desires of this world. But to the degree that we do, to the degree that we can, we gain the advantage of not being tempted to steal. Not thinking to take as our own what belongs to another because we simply do not value the stuff of this world enough to think, to take it as our own when it does not belong to us at least one passage of scripture comes to mind here Matthew chapter 6 again uh, where in the sermon on the mount Jesus uh, said do not be anxious about your life but how do you, how do you do that Uh, The point is not to have a concern about your survival. Uh, The point is not to work in this world to uh, earn a wage uh, and by your work have your needs met. That's not the prohibition. The point is not to be anxious. And in the end, the point is not to be afraid of death. Is that even possible? How can we not be afraid of death? And only Jesus can be the teacher of of such teaching because only Jesus came along to provide eternal life. If anyone tells you, oh, don't worry about it, they better be able also to say, don't worry about it because I will take care of it for you. And if they say that, don't worry about it because I will take care of it for you, then they better be able to do it, and they better have done it. Otherwise, they are just a boaster and a and a fraud. But Jesus was not a boaster, and he did not, uh, uh, and and he did do what needed to be done uh, in order to back up, we might say, his call, even his command: "Do not be anxious." Why should we not be anxious in this life? Or rather, how can we not be anxious about this life? Well, the answer is by knowing that we have far more waiting for us in heaven, far more than we could ever gain or lose in this life. The words of Martin Luther come to mind. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. So it's, it's the matter of perspective. But, but it's more than just a perspective. It's, it's really the matter of a worldview. It's the matter of your view of reality itself. What is this world? What, what is your place in it? Is there anything beyond this world? The gospel in God's word gives us an answer that is comforting to us in the face of all loss in this world. This is how the Apostle Paul can say, if God is for us, who can be against us? What a silly question if the only thing we have in view is this world. The whole world is against us. The devil and his forces are against us. But that's not the point. Or we might say the point goes well beyond the here and the now. The perspective is eternal. The worldview is God and and his word. The reality is Christ. Is that your reality? Is Christ your reality? When you sit down, if you sit down for your... 15 minutes of devotional time each day, uh, are you just looking for a bit of inspiration? Are you just looking for a bit of uh, relaxation? Or are you looking to renew the full reality of Christ in your heart and mind? Because you're going to need it. If you would not think to steal from others what you don't have. What, is, what does anyone have that you don't have that holds any worth compared to Christ? That's the reality that will keep us from temptation to steal and so the second point is, remember what you have gained. We've covered this before, but once again, are we, are we too heavenly minded that we are no earthly good? I trust you've heard that expression before. Indeed, uh, let us not be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. There is truth in this. Let us not sit around on our rooftops waiting for Christ to come again. Let's not make the mistake uh, of thinking that Sunday is the only holy day of each week. The Lord's Day is certainly especially holy, but the Lord's Day is holy because it prepares to see each and every day as holy. Each and every day we are called to live as Christians, as believers in Christ. So let us work hard. But as God's Word says in Colossians three twenty three. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord, and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. And there's that word again. We covered uh, uh, recently in the evening in the in the second service. We've gained an inheritance. We We went over this, uh, how that man came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it was both a a good and a bad question. It was a good question because it was based upon the realization and, and the admission that death is coming. Death comes for every man. As the saying goes, man knows not his time or even his Hour, but it was a bad question because you don't do anything to gain an inheritance, and inheritance is yours by your birth. And unless you want to argue that before you were born, you incited your parents to a night of intimacy, unless you want to argue that before you decided, uh, before you were born, you decided the day and the moment of your birth, all of which is absurd, well, then you need to see that your salvation is an inheritance by way of what has happened to you, by way of the sovereign grace of God and the faith that now resides in your heart as the sheer gift of God through Jesus Christ. But even more, remember what you have gained. Remember what is yours now. The forgiveness of your sins. The perfect obedience of Christ credited to you. Let's go through the, the, the words of justification again because it, uh, it, uh, it almost takes all of them to convince us maybe to, of, of this reality. The perfect obedience of Christ is counted to you counted to you. You you are a sinner. You you daily sin and offend the majesty of God. Left to yourself, the the wrath and judgment of God would, would be due to fall upon you, leaving you to suffer hell forever. But that doesn't take into account what you have gained by way of your faith in Jesus Christ. Instead, the obedience of Christ has been counted to you. The righteousness of Christ has been credited to you. You are reckoned righteous. Good alliteration. Reckoned righteous by God. You are declared righteous. And all of these words make up justification and all of this makes up the gospel. This is God's plan of salvation. Oh, 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 but... But doesn't this incite disobedience? Probably. Who of us hasn't taken advantage of God's grace? Who of us hasn't said, as Paul teaches us not to say, let us sin that grace may abound? But guess what? That sin is covered too. The reality of the Christian life as, as we live with our faith in Christ is that we are counted obedient. We are credited with uh, the perfect performance of, of Christ. We are reckoned righteous. We are declared righteous. And the same God who said in the beginning, let there be light, and there was, is the God who by his gospel declares the sinner Righteous. This one is righteous. This one has obeyed perfectly. This one who believes in me and and my son, I accept and I even take as my child and I bestow upon him or her an inheritance of eternal life. But then we need to keep in mind what will be ours. The third point is remember what will be yours and and remember the context. We're we're, we're talking here about how to avoid or uh, or otherwise to remain faithful uh, in the temptation to steal. The Eighth Commandment says you shall not steal. But God by His law does not merely command obedience. He does command obedience. But at the very same time, that he commands obedience, he gives us every reason to obey. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And the same is true for us, that that we must hear the law of God within the context, upon the, the basis of God's salvation. It's not, here's what you must do if you would be saved, it's here is what you must do because you have been saved. Here is what you must do if you would experience the, the full blessing of my salvation now. But even for the Old Testament, Israel, there was always the more to come. The giving of the law at Mount Sinai, the second giving of the law In Deuteronomy, both were in the wilderness. We're still in the wilderness. Both were prior to the promised land, and and the land of Canaan was promised to God's people not on the basis of their obedience. If the land had been promised on the basis of their obedience, they never would have gotten there, they never would have acquired it. That's one of the major points of the, of the Old Testament, but it's, it's a major point so that we too in, in 2024, may the Lord come quickly, um, in 2024 we are in the same place. By the, by the sheer grace of God, by the plain, unconditional promise to us, salvation is ours. And the impetus, the the reason, the motivation for our obedience is not to gain the land. We are not to obey in order to inherit the earth because blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Imagine the rich man, once again, uh, the one who promises to cover all your debts. And, uh, and he says, over and over and over again, I will pay it. And yet over and over and over again, you say, thank you, but what part of it shall I pay? Did you not hear me, says the rich man, I will pay it. Yes, but, but what part of it shall I pay? The question gets asked again. Listen carefully," he says. "I will. I will pay it. Well, thank you very much, but please let me know what payment I can make." With a sigh, he says again, "I will pay it." It's kind of like when uh, someone buys you lunch, but you offer to pay the tip. You ever done that? Thanks for lunch. Could I maybe cover the tip? It's a polite thing to do, but that's not the gospel. I will pay it, says God. And he says, I will pay it because that's the only way it can be. It's the only way it can be without subtracting from his glory, which he will not do. Because as Isaiah tells us several times over, he will not share his glory with another. That's the only way salvation can come to the sinner, if God pays it. And he has paid it. Even at the cost of the life of his own son, And because it's all of him, then it's all in all. And we must remember not only what we have lost of this world, not only what we have gained in this world, but what will be ours by the promise of God. Promises, promises. Can God be trusted for his promises? Just look at the promises made and the promises fulfilled already within the record of Scripture. We can trust Him. You don't have to steal the petty things of this life. From the candy bar in the grocery store to the property of your neighbor or the property of your employer or stealing from the government by failing to pay your taxes. Whatever the temptation, we can remember. We must remember what we have lost, what we have been delivered from, the desperation of trying to stay alive in this world. We can and must remember what we have gained. Grace, forgiveness, a a loving Father in heaven and a gracious Lord jesus christ and and we can and must remember what will be ours in heaven do we spend enough time thinking about what will be ours in heaven does the millionaire in our day the billionaire does does he squabble over ten dollars no he gives away ten thousand dollars And this must be our perspective, even our reality. Instead of petty stealing, because all theft in this life is petty, we must instead be content and even give out of what supplies we have, give to others, knowing that we are already rich beyond compare, because in Christ, heaven is ours. Heaven awaits us. Amen. Let's pray. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for our petty theft. Be it a candy bar or a million dollars. If we steal it, it's petty compared to what we have in Christ Give us this perspective, give us this worldview, give us this reality as believers in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.